covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It's time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great that you are with us as we come your way for another week's worth of Brewers talk. Certainly has been an interesting week with a couple of things that occurred and kind of the implications that go along with uh, at least one of those items, and that's going to be uh, really the bulk of what we talk about uh, over the course of the podcast today. Let's do our normal housekeeping items here at the top of the program. If you uh, listen to us via Apple Podcast and can leave a ranking and review and subscribe to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. If you're looking to get in contact with me, best way to do so is via Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. And a hello and special welcome to everybody who is listening on 540 ESPN as part of the uh, afternoon pod center that Doug Russell puts together. Great to have you with us. If you are just hearing this for the first time, and maybe you're about to enjoy what you're hearing and you're not always able to listen at this time. This is a podcast that is available wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher. You can also find it at WTMJ.com, and it releases late Sunday night, early Monday morning. It is 2.10 in the morning as I am recording this at this moment. So this is one of those weeks where it is an early Monday morning as it is being uh, finally put together and, uh, and published. All right, let's get to a couple things. First off, Brewers signed Jed Jerko this past week. I've kind of got mixed feelings on this, and this is where it comes from. First off, I think he's a good fit potentially for the team in a role where he would be a utility guy. You can start him one place at one day, not an everyday sort of guy. It's more about the kind of the implications of his signing and what it means for this team and what it means for the roster. Now let's get this out of the way first. This past year, he had a miserable season. Split time between the Cardinals and the Dodgers. Uh, he hit 174, had a 248 on base, a 250 slugging percentage, a 498 OPS. Uh, hit two home runs, nine RBIs over the course of 62 games. I mean, y- you talk about some bad numbers, they were there. That being said, he has had some pretty solid seasons. The year before, he appeared in 125 games for St. Louis, 11 home runs, 47 RBIs, hit 262. Uh, 2017 was St. Louis, 272 average, 20 home runs, 67 RP- RBIs, and 813 OPS. So solid OPS. 2016, he had a 30 home run season. So he has been a good player. He dealt with injuries and some other things this past year. So he certainly looks like a player that is a bounce back candidate. What is uh, the implications, though, of this move is really what it means for third base. So as the roster is constructed at this moment, third base would be mostly handled by a combination of Jed Jerko and Eric Sogard. If that comes to fruition, to me, that's a little bit surprising. And if you're listening to this podcast right now, pretty good chance you listen to this podcast on an every week basis. And you've heard me say multiple times that I got the sense, I had a feeling, I just kind of, something inside of me was saying that the Brewers had one more fairly large move left in them this offseason, and it would address third base. Now, let's be very clear. That can still be incredibly true. Um, As I was thinking about this, I thought back to where this club was at exactly one year ago, and 
at at catcher, everybody one year ago was pretty confident that it was going to be a combination of Eric Kratz and Manny Pena. And yes, Monty Grandal was not even on the radar for, for many folks who pay attention to the team. And we know that the team eventually signed Yasmani Grandal. So just because this move was done and just because the roster is put together in a certain way right now does not mean that the team does not have another move left in them. And I think David Stearns is very good at assessing the market and knowing what moves to make, what moves not to make, yada, yada, yada. All that being said, I believe David Stearns and I believe the Brewers when they say they feel comfortable with where they're at right now at third base with a combination of Jed Jerko and Eric Sogard. And I think both those guys fit this team well. Again, this is not about them about not them not me not wanting them on the team. That that's not where I'm going with this. I think they fit the team well. But the question is, does that combination of those two guys replace the production that you were getting from a Mike Mustakis last year? And I'm not sure it does. I'm not sure it does. Um, so that's something to keep an eye out for. It's a little bit of a surprising thing. I think Jerko's going to have a bounce-back season. There's nothing to say that he's not going to have a bounce-back season, and it, there's not a ton of money invested there as well from a value standpoint. I think they're getting pretty good value from him. But if it turns into something where he and Eric Sogard are the guys who are going to be at third base on an almost everyday basis, at that point you say, can these guys replace the production of a Mike Moustakis? And that's a that's that becomes for me probably the number one narrative, the number one storyline going into the season, the number one question mark. Uh, I did on Brewers Weekly a couple weeks ago. Comfortable, not comfortable. I think I referenced this last last week on this podcast where I uh, went around the roster and went around the position groups and said what areas I was comfortable with and what areas I was not comfortable with at this point in time. And I was pretty comfortable most spots with the exception of third base and with the exception of the bullpen. And I wouldn't say that this – am I slightly more comfortable at third base with Jed Jerko added to the roster than I was prior to Jed Jerko? Sure. Because he's going to – if he has a bounce back, he's going to be able to produce to a certain level. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm still overly comfortable with that uh, with that uh, with that spot at third. So I don't know. I, I don't know what more you say about it at this point in time. I, to me, it's still a, a wait and see. You know, does do the Brewers have that pre-Brewers on deck move that they tend to make a surprising move, whether it's a trade, whether it's a, a signing, whatever it might be? Do they still have that left in them? Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. I I don't know. Uh, but it, it certainly feels like they're at a point now after the Jericho signing that they are much more comfortable uh, with their roster. And if, if this is kind of what it looks like going into opening day, well, then so be it. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think they're going to continue to make moves. If there's any, Even if there's smaller moves where it's kind of on the back end of the 40-man roster uh, where, you're, where you're bringing somebody in and then you know, designating somebody for assignment, trying to sneak them through, you know, th- that whole thing, which we've seen them do most off-seasons, whatever it might be, I I don't think the roster, the 40-man roster as it sits right now, is going to be the 40-man roster. I don't think they're done in terms of the minor league contracts with the invite to Major League Spring Training, guys like that. uh, I would not say that they are done at this point in time with that. We'll just 
Yeah, it's uh, it was a little bit surprising to me the way uh, things went this past week. They did also, speaking of uh, minor league contracts, invites to spring training, uh, they did give that to uh, free agent Logan Morrison this past week. So he is into the organization. Serviceable guy that, you know, probably – in a in a best case scenario, you've got him at AAA, but somebody who can certainly come up to the big leagues and not embarrass themselves. The other thing I want to get to: uh, Craig Council got signed to a contract extension. If you know much about me, if you listen to me very very often, you know I'm a fan of his. I think he's a really really good manager. Uh, I think he's an incredible manager for uh, what he does. I think a lot of times I've talked about this a lot. You know, just what he does to keep the clubhouse in a uh, in a kind of in a really good spot. Letting guys be individuals, just everything that goes on with this team, kind of behind closed doors, and the way he has created uh, that culture is a really important thing. The in-game management, managing—it's it's fine. I've got no issues with it. That doesn't mean I agree with him 100% of the time. That—that—that's not true. I mean, there's times that he does something. I go, ah, I might have done it a little bit differently, but I. I almost always understand why he's doing it. I think it's a, and a lot of things are more organizational sort of philosophies than anything else. But his greatest value to me is the way he sets that culture inside the clubhouse. I think it's a really, really big deal. He's a very good manager. He's very smart. There's, I never understand. You know, we we always get to the point in the season where people are taking shots at him. The the hashtag fire council stuff is out there on Twitter. I, I never understand it. And I talk to people who don't like him. And, yeah, I just don't get it. And a lot of times I think the people who have issues with him are actually having issues with kind of the organizational philosophies more than anything else. But we'll get into that in a, on a different day at a different time because we don't need to uh, do that at this point in time. All right, so those are the two big things. The Jed Jerko signing and uh, Craig Council getting extended a three-year contract extension. So he's going to be around. You would think, unless something goes horribly, horribly wrong, you would think he's going to be with the Brewers for quite some time and that's just the way things are going to go uh we're not going to do headlines of the week this week because basically we just did headlines of the week to uh open up uh the program and uh that's okay so we're going to technically skip that segment this week but we just essentially did it uh brad ford from brew crew ball and also now part of the uh, milwaukee tailgate podcast he is uh going to join us this week uh we just had him on fairly recently but i like to have folks on when they have news and things like that and him joining the milwaukee tailgate podcast is some good news and uh new news so we're going to have him on plus i like having brad on he's a fun guy to talk to and uh, our conversation with brad ford from brew crew ball and the milwaukee tailgate podcast starts in just a moment after every brewers game signing an announcement bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take now we bring them all together it's the social media roundtable and it starts now Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue on. It's been like a whole month since um, since we've had this guy on. And as I'm talking to him at 9.12 p.m. on Sunday evening, his most recent tweet says, I'm happy, 
and I'm sure it's because he's t- coming on this podcast and has nothing to do with the fact that the Packers uh, beat the uh, beat the Seahawks. He is uh, Brad Ford. Follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. He's part of the uh, great crew at Brew Crew Ball. He's also now got uh, some added responsibilities in the podcast world. We'll talk about that more in uh, just a few moments. But we do welcome Brad uh, onto the podcast. Hi, Brad. Hi. You always know how to read my uh, tweets better than anyone. You just know the context of them. You know, everyone else probably thinks it's about like a football game or something, but you know that it's actually. I get to hang out with my friend Matt. There you go. I knew it. I say, look, I'm, I'm Brad. I'm happy too. By the way, maybe I should tweet out that I'm happy. <laughs> uh, well, well, I mean, we don't want people to catch on. That's true. That is uh, that is true. Uh, this has been, um, and we'll talk about uh, your big news from this uh, this past week here. Uh, probably at the end of the conversation. Uh, that's uh, I always try to. I bring you on a fair amount, but when people do have like news items, like last week we had uh, we had uh, Nick Zettel on. He would, he had just posted something at Brew Crew Ball, so I said, okay, he doesn't post there that often, so we got to get him on. You had news this week, so I, I'd make sure to uh, to get you on. So we'll get uh, to that in just a little bit. But let's start with the big news of the week, not related to you, related to the Brewers. Uh, Jed Zerko signs. Uh, he's a guy that if you don't look at his past, last year was not good, but he was banged up and it was just an off year. Like the career numbers say he's going to be better than the guy that he was last year. Um, but the the thing that people are kind of freaking out about is now we are being led to believe that as the roster sits, third base is going to be mostly a combination of Jed Jerko and Eric Sogard. That actually surprises me a little bit, and there's no guarantee that that's actually going to happen. But what is uh, your reaction to uh, this this move this past week with Jerko? I think in a vacuum, the Jerko signing's like a classic David Stearns move. It's so low value at a reported deal of $2 million. I haven't seen any numbers yet on the option for him. Um, but you know, every deal that they've signed, that's been a one year deal. The Brett Anderson's, the Eric Sogards, the Justin smokes have been a year in an option. So of course they need to keep with that trend. Um, and really $2 million for a guy with Jerko's history isn't significant at all. Um, he's been a very productive player in the past. Um, only one where he was exceptionally good with a 30 home run season in St. Louis in 2016. But other than that, he's still been a pretty solid contributor. When you look at advanced measuring statistics like uh, WRC plus DRC plus, they all rank him pretty uh, well ahead of the curve in terms of his production. Um, However, you're looking at a guy coming off of a back and wrist injury and those, especially the back, we know they hamper production and we know they linger. Mm-hmm. Um, the brewer said that they did a pretty thorough physical with Jerko, really went in and made sure that he was completely healthy. But that doesn't mean backs don't flare up. We've, I mean, look at Ryan Braun. He seems to have the same oblique injury again and again and again. Um and yeah, it only takes him out for 14 games. There's been a couple seasons, though, where it really seems to hamper his production to a point that makes him uh, less than usable. Um, so you look at Jerko last year, and he has just abysmal production. Um, like, I think even it grades out a little worse than Travis Shaw, which is really bad. Um, yeah, it does. Actually, I have the numbers right in front of me. They have uh, in 2019... 
Travis Shaw had a WRC plus of 47 and Jed Jerko had a WRC plus of 36. So pretty miserable um, in terms of the value they're adding offensively there. Uh, he's a pretty solid defender. He can play everywhere safe. I really like him as a utility guy who can maybe like fight someone to take over. But going in, as you said, we're given the impression from David Stearns that it's going to be Sogard and Jerko playing at third base. And when you're looking at the what you have to do to make up for the missing talent that Yasmani Grandal, Mike Moustakis are leaving a void in, I'm not sure that what you've done to replace that production is enough. Yeah, you still have negatives that you need to calculate in there. Uh, you need to calculate in that Travis Shaw was a negative presence in the lineup. Um, so that makes the hole that you need to fill in with Mike Moustakis and Yasmani Grandal a little smaller. Kesson is playing a full season now makes the hole a little smaller. Um, and then Arcia or Urias theoretically should be able to improve the port shortstop uh, production from last year. Not a guarantee, though. Um, I'm really high in Urias. I think he's someone who can has huge potential after they finally fine-tuned his swing last year, um, kind of fixing it from what they did to accidentally destroy it. He did find some production. Um, but even still, you're missing so much production from Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis in terms of their output, uh, both offensively and defensively. Uh, Grandal, especially when you're referring to defense. I'm not sure that Jerko even returning to form and health is going to pair up with Sogard and really come close to being enough of a filler when you have Narvaez, who is a really good offensive catcher, probably one of three offensive catchers that can be compared to Yasmani Grandel in terms of ability, but so bad on defense that he can't hold up to any real comp of Yasmani Grandel. I think the Brewers will fix that. I think they've shown great success with catchers in the past. Um, you even look at Manny Pena, who came into the organization as a okay catcher, not truly a detriment, but has become one of the better defensive catchers out there. Um, they clearly, and then you look at Jacob Nottingham, who came into the organization as a bat first prospect who was definitely going to first base because he couldn't catch, and now is a glove first prospect who <laughs> is probably going to serve as a defensive backup this year. Yeah. Um, obviously they have some skill at developing the catcher position. Um, I just think even with a positive bump from Narvaez in defense and Sogard's production last year was so good and so uncharacteristically good. I don't think that sustains. And even if Jerko returns to form, heck, even if he's that 30 home run hitter, I think those three combined aren't doing enough to replace that. So you're relying on a lot of other things to go right. You're relying on uh, the combination of Bron Garcia to be an increase to your left field production and first base production, which Eric Thames was a pretty good first baseman last year. And you're relying on um, Lorenzo Kane to have better production than he had last season, which I don't think is unreasonable. I, we know he played pretty much the entire season injured last year. Um, if he can maintain his health at his age, which is difficult, I'd expect more product positive production from him this season than we got last year. 
so I mean, there's definitely positives and I get where they're going. And I, the, the most important thing is I can see the logic behind where they're building. I just wish it were more substantial. I wish it were a Josh Donaldson, although at the current contract numbers that they're talking about, I get why it's not Josh Donaldson, where he's looking at four years, 110 million. And other teams are obviously balking at that, too, or else he'd be signed already. Um, meanwhile, other teams are finding ways to resolve their f- third base problems that don't involve him. So obviously, there's some issue with his expectations. Um, and the, oh, just but, to just to interject, the, he you know there are those supposed offers out there, uh, at least for multi years, and at some point those offers might go away. So maybe all of a sudden he does become that one year candidate that we saw last year but it just doesn't seem like as many of those guys are going to be around this year yeah absolutely if anyone's going to become one it feels like it's going to be him uh, because eventually he's going to outweigh his market and not get what he wanted heck even a two-year deal um, I think would be a really good get for him to get the max out of his production Uh, four years for a guy of his age and those two significant years that he was injured um, do scare me now, I, I think it's worth noting, this time last year, we're, we're talking about Manny Pena and Eric Kratz being the Brewers catchers. And quite honestly, I think most of the Brewers fan base was pretty comfortable with that coming off uh, a year in a postseason where Eric Kratz had really played well. So the idea of Kratz coming back and trying to repeat that performance as a fan favorite and everything, people like that idea. And then all of a sudden, the Yasmani Grandal uh, signing occurs. And we all know that the Brewers tend to make moves just prior to the Brewers on deck event, which here is uh, in, in a couple weeks. So even though David Stern, well, I mean, what is Stern's going to say? No, we're still looking. No, we're, yeah, we brought in Jed Jerko, but we still think we can do better at third base. Like those aren't things that you can say. But all that being said, there does seem to be a possibility that that's going to be your group at third. But there's also a possibility that they still have a move to be made at some point before opening day. Yeah, it's certainly possible. There's moves out there too, uh, just not many of them. And definitely less so than what we've had in the past few off seasons. When you're looking at uh, the comparison with Lorenzo Kane and Yasmani Grandal signing free agent contracts as late into the season as they did, they were also just players who hadn't were part of a free agent class that wasn't signing. You look at last year, look how late Manny Machado and Bryce Harper signed. Look how early Garrett Cole and Anthony Rendon signed this year. It's representative of how different the market is and the quality of talent that's still out there. I remember coming on on in 2018 to talk to you in the offseason, and you're asking me, like, what the heck's with this slow offseason? I was like, oh, this won't be the norm. This won't be the norm. And then, yeah, it was just slow, and players didn't sign until February. Um, and the top one of the top outfielders didn't come off the market till. January 25th. That's not the case this season. It is a completely different market that we've seen David Stearns operating in than what he's been in in the past few seasons. I think what the team, I think the team believes that they have made significant uh, moves. And I think they believe that move particularly is adding Urias and Garcia. I think those are the two players that they think are their Yellick and Kane slash Grandal and Moustakis. And I think they think those are the difference makers this year. Just the fans don't see it that way. I think Urias definitely has the potential to be um, a shockingly good return 
for fans. Um, Garcia has huge potential that's covered all over the internet, but he's had that huge potential for a while and that hasn't come to fruition. So it's hard to put too much betting into him being increasing his production this year. Yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm just kind of surprised by it because I mean, people who listen to this podcast know that like week in and week out, I've, I've said, I think, I think the Brewers have one more big move left in. And I, I was thinking it was going to be a trade and I thought maybe Orlando RC was going to uh, be involved with, with that. I don't I mean, I don't have any inside information. I just kind of look at the way things are going and, and kind of think, okay, this, this would make a little bit of sense, but now all of a sudden I kind of think that you know they'll they'll go into it and they'll they'll see how this whole Sogar Jerko thing works. They'll see how their other offseason moves have have worked and if they need to make a change in season. You know we do know that about David Stearns. Like they'll they'll give something time, but to their credit, they don't just stick their you know their heads in the proverbial sand. They'll they'll make a move. Whether it was you know this past year going back and uh, getting. You know, reacquiring Gio Gonzalez, eventually really cutting the cord with Travis Shaw after giving him so many opportunities. We do know if there's an issue that they do do their best. You know, late in the season, the Drew Pomerantz trade, they needed a boost in the bullpen and they made a move. So I do think this team is uh, pretty good at eventually if there is a if there is a hole, if there is an area where they're not getting production, they can make a move in season. Right. And someone asked me, like, you know, the roster does seem pretty well set at this point. The 40 man's full. They had to um, cut room to make for Jerko and let Faria go, um, which I was a little disappointed in because I actually have some optimism for him. I get he performed poorly, but I thought he did have potential to be a role player. Not significant, but. Of yeah, I liked him value. when they acquired him. I, I'm right there with you on that. I was I'm a little bummed in that that he was the guy who got lost his 40 man spot but hopefully he can stick i think aguilar ended up sticking with the rays didn't he so um maybe those guys are just two guys nobody but those two organizations wanted um so i guess that works um not to correct you, but Aguilar ended up with the Marlins. Oh, that's right. You're yeah. right, because it's uh, now the Brewers South. Yes. You're 100% correct. No, correcting me is good. I just could not remember. He stayed in Florida. It's all the same, right? Exactly. What's what's You know what? I would bet if we went into the state of Florida and uh, we're not in the exact – maybe even for some people in Tampa Bay or Miami, but if we just – if we're going to Jacksonville and Orlando and, uh, and other places that I can't think of off the top of my head, I bet there's a lot of people there that don't know the difference between the Miami Marlins and the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously the state does not have a large interest in baseball. Look at their attendance. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I – I think, like, someone asked me, the roster is pretty well set, so what do you think? Like, are they making any more moves? And if you think the Brewers aren't making any more moves, you're insane, because you haven't watched David Stearns. He makes moves all the time. He's always cutting and adding and cutting and adding and adding and adding and cutting and adding and signing minor league deals and doing non-roster invites. We haven't seen many non-roster invite signing uh, I can think of a few off the top of my head, including Logan Morrison, who signed in the last week. But Tuffy Ghostwitch, right? He's back yeah, in the organization. Yep, uh, nice little catcher depth there. Yeah. Um, you still have Freitas, um, but 
Yeah, he's going to keep adding. The question should be, is he going to add anyone who's going to see significant playing time in the year? And that I'm less hesitant to be confident on. Uh, I just, it's mostly I don't see that they're out there. After Donaldson, who still makes a lot of sense, there's, um, of course, a huge trade market, but they don't have the pieces really in the farm system to make those significant trades anymore. They can't go out. I don't think they can go out and get an Arenado. No. Uh, I don't think they... I know they can't get a... The only way they can get Arenado is either if they if they include Hayter in some way. And that's the only way. Yeah. And that might be the most significant move left on the table is trading Josh Hayter. Yeah, I just... Uh... I think at this point they're not doing it. I think if they would have, if they wanted to trade Josh Hader, they would have done so already. Um, I think I the think Rockies he, would want a lot more just because. Oh no, I'm not saying Josh Hader exclusively. I'm saying like it would have to be like a three-team trade where someone's sending prospects back for Josh Hader and those prospects go to the Rockies. Okay. Um, so that's what I was trying to say by Josh Hader is included in some way. We know Arnado's going to end up in St. Louis, right? Like it just, oh, yeah. it's going to yeah, happen. I mean, once I saw the connection, I just wanted to not let the St. Louis Cardinals be in team or anymore because I don't want to deal with Arenado, Goldschmidt, and them in the same lineup. Yeah, that corner infield is, is maybe the best in baseball if that were to happen. I mean, at least Goldschmidt underperformed last season. You can only hope for continued regression as a Brewer fan. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Goldschmidt fan. He's a good guy, and he's fun to watch, and he's incredibly productive. Uh, but as long as he's in the Cardinals uniform, I'm going to be wishing for the worst. Um, yeah, and I'm an Arenado fan, and the same thing would happen the second he puts that Cardinals uniform on. I would just hope for the worst. I don't want to deal with him. I don't. Yeah, I, I think he's the best third baseman, certainly in the National League, maybe in baseball. I just, I really like him. And living in Colorado for a while, watching him come up, it's, uh, it was fun. And he's so good. He's just really, really good. I mean, he's definitely, in terms of defense and offense combined, he's definitely the current king of that throne. Maybe the only one who can give him the run for his money right now in terms of offense is um, Rendon. Who out there is taking Rendon over Arnado? Uh, teams that have that hole um, where they need that type of offense because they're two very different offensive profiles. Right. Yeah, I mean, I'll, um, I'll give you that Rendon does some things offensively that, that Arnado doesn't, but when you talk about the complete vacuum, ball player, yeah, yeah it's Arenado. Yeah, absolutely. And because, like I said, like uh, Rendon maybe can go toe to toe with him offensively in terms of total value given, but defensively, Arenado, it doesn't even come close. I would agree. Uh, he's just so good. And I, I keep trying to dream up scenarios that the Brewers would be able to get him. And I think the like it can't be that huge of a return if you eat all his salary, but it still needs to be a good return, and the Brewers don't have those prospects. I think the Rockies are kind of in the situation that the Brewers are with the Hater because they're from a. If let's go back to Hater and the Yankees because that's been that's been a rumor. So if a deal gets done, the Brewers are going to get so much back for Hater. So yeah, the Yankees are going to win because they get Josh Hater, but the Brewers are going to win because of what they're getting back for him. If they don't make the trade, 
the Yankees lose because they don't get Josh Hader, but the Brewers win because they still have Josh Hader. I think we can say the exact same thing about the Rockies. You know, if they don't make a trade, they still win because they've got they've got Nolan Arnato. And something else I read, and not that this is a Rockies podcast, but just because there's a chance that this guy could end up in the same division as the Brewers, there was a lot being made of the comment that Arnato made last year about you know it feels like a rebuild. And that comment has been taken completely out of context because he was asked that at a time where all five of the starting pitchers for the Rockies, uh, I think, were on the uh, on the injured list. And what the comment was was, right now it feels like a rebuild because of he. What the context was was you know they were starting all these young guys and there were so many young guys on the roster. It wasn't this wide ranging thing. It feels like we're in a rebuild. It was specific to the injuries at that moment and that comment was completely taken out of context and has grown and all of a sudden this guy may end up getting traded from the Rockies because of a because of a single quote that people have made a big deal of and I guess the organization doesn't really completely understand as well that it was taken out of context it's a really really weird deal if people are following it I guess I didn't know the full backstory into it I just figured the Rockies kind of got intimidated by the contract size a la the Marlins and Gene Carlos Stanton a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so I figured it had less to do with that context. But that's one of those situations where I wonder if, like, the Brewers sent, and I hate speculative trade offers, but just because my mind can't stop thinking through it, the Brewers sent Hater to New York, and Andy Jar and Garcia, uh, the top. A prospect for the Yankees and another prospect go to Colorado and the Brewers include Terang over to Colorado. Is that been enough to send Arenado back and be the third baseman? Probably, but let me throw it because eventually I was going to get to where, where I'm about to go. I, I still stand by that there is some correlation with this offseason and maybe them not spending the money that fans would like them to spend. I think there's some correlation of them trying to set themselves up to be able to extend Yelich at some point in the relatively near future. Maybe I'm completely off on that, but that makes sense to me, that they're trying to kind of hedge their bets and put themselves in position to do that. If you go give that much up to bring a guy in who's got that contract, how does that all of a sudden impact your ability to extend Yelich? And with all due respect to to, to Arnado, I would still rather this team uh, extend Yelich. Well, just based on, I would rather they extend Yelich too. Um, as much of a Nolan Arenado stand as I am, Yelich is clearly more valuable just offensively. Once you get defensive, uh, you know, Arenado plays a better or more premium position. Um, he offers more defensively than Yelich. However, if you can get a 29-year-old, play him for two year, or three years with Yelich, and then still have six years of Urias and Hira alongside him while he plays out his, the remaining six years of his contract, isn't that tempting? Yeah, he's got an opt-out on his contract, though, doesn't he? Does he? Check. Real time. Mm, fact checking. Yes, he has. Uh, he can opt out after the 2021 season. Okay. So he's going to opt out after the 2021 season. Possibly. We've seen players not do that. 
Yeah, we haven't seen players of his stature. I mean, he would have to be coming off an injury or his skill set just really deteriorate. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think if any team traded for him, you know how you get those pending contract negotiations, it would have to be pending that they at least move that opt-out back. Yeah, maybe maybe, maybe that, that's something that I would think would make sense. I mean, yeah, but that opt-out is a big deal in all this because if you, if you move back the opt-out, you're probably going to – he's not just going to do that out of the goodness of his heart. You're going to have to pay him some money for that, to move the oh, opt-out. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there would be some renegotiations for sure. You make anything of the uh, the non coming to a pre arbitration agreement with uh, with Josh Hader and uh, Brent Suter? I think both sides are just super curious. I mean, they're so unique. Um, Suter, obviously, a veteran player coming off an injury, but uh, when he's been healthy, has had significantly positive contributions to. I feel like I keep saying that, um, but has been a positive player in terms of the value he's added to the team. Um, then you have. Hater, who is a super two player who is somewhere in between Papelbon and Batansis um, when he went to arbitration. And that Papelbon was able to get set the rookie or the first year record because he had accumulated so many saves as a closer and the committee ended up putting such a premium on that. But Batansis ended up getting the team side because they the arbitration panel cited in the opposite way, even though he had so much positive production and was so, and was one of the best relief pitchers in baseball because he hadn't really closed. He didn't have many saves on his record and he couldn't um, tilt the board to go in favor for him because he wasn't playing the premium position. Hader has a small pool of saves that is higher than Batansis, but significantly lower than Pavelbon. And it's so, like, what in the world is the precedent that's going to be set by that? Yeah. It's fascinating to me as someone who, um, I want Josh Hader to get paid, honestly. I think he deserves it. I think $6 million for what he's produced is really not asking that much. But I see why the Brewers at uh, just over $4 million also feel like they're being fair and don't want to offer him much more. It's a truly fascinating situation. Suter in a different reason in that he's been productive, but um, with the Tommy John injury, uh, with his very specified uh, production and uh, getting time served for not really competing, um, it'll be interesting. I think Suter and the Brewers are more likely to come to an agreement uh, but I think Hater's agent and the Brewers both feel compelled to go because I feel like it, it's an instance where they both very well could be right. Normally you have an inkling before going into these things about who's going to be the most right. And I do not feel that that exists in this situation. Yeah, so a, a couple things from my point. First off, according to John Heyman, the Hater filed at 6.4, Brewers filed at 4.1, Suter filed at one and a quarter, Brewers filed at 825,000. Uh, I think you're right that it makes sense for them to figure something out with Brent Suter. You know, a lot, so little. Yeah, yeah. You split the difference. You can probably get something done there. Um, and 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 yeah, that I would expect. I don't think they're going to go to arbitration with Suter. I keep it keeps kind of ringing in the back of my head. You know, when you're under club control, but you're uh, not yet to arbitration. There's there's a concrete number that the team can pay you, and that happened last year with Josh Hader. And basically, as a as a player, 
you can either like agree to it or you can just like accept it. Like you, you have to take it. And last year they and I forget the exact term for it. You can correct me if you uh, if you know it. But last year that's what Josh Hader did. He did not agree to it. He accepted it, whatever the terminology is. So it seems right. like it's almost like uh, the player salary equivalent of playing a game under protest. Right. Exactly. So that's what he did last year. So that tells me already. Like so that tells me they're not they're not jumping at this point to you know, give some sort of discount just based off the way things went last year. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I definitely remember that happening last year. Yeah, I I think Hater rightfully believes he's worth the amount he asked for. And honestly, it was it's a pretty reasonable ask when you look at what he's offered to this team. Also, they've used him so heavily that who knows if he'll be getting paid after he becomes a free agent. So might as well try to up that number as much as possible early in your career and be one of the few relievers who can actually take advantage of their period of success. Um, but at the same time, like I said, there's so much variance that no, I think most times teams settle because they know what the outcome is going to be. They can say, go to the player and say, like, here's precedent for why we think this salary is fair. The player and their agent come back and say, like, no, here's this case and this case that went to arbitration that show our side's fair. Um, And they end up agreeing based on who can provide the best support. Um, And they have, like, their own mini arbitration that doesn't become as insulting as the real arbitration ends up being. Well, I think that's the other side of it. I think teams try to settle because it's a really uncomfortable situation to walk into a room and tell a, a three-person panel or whatever, or a single-person panel, whatever it is, uh, all the reasons that this guy that you're expecting to be a really big part of your team here in a month, uh, why he's not worth the money. Like it's a, I hate that. I I hate arbitration hearings, and you know, from a, I do try to look at things from a human being standpoint. I think a lot of people forget about that in sports and they don't remember that these guys are human beings and they are. And I know, like, in what world would any of us in, like, our everyday business, would we go into a room with our boss and our boss would tell us all the reasons we're not worth the money that we would like to make? Like, it's a horrible thing. Yeah, it's and players have come out and said, like, it feels awful. I think I remember Corey Hart being one of the players who went to arbitration and saying, like, yeah, you come out of that room and you just feel like, wow, that's what they think of me. But because you have to, with the way the arbitration court is set up, you have to go in and just crap all over the opposing side. Um, And it's weird because one side's trying to bring a person up and the other side's just trying to bring him as far down as possible it's i don't know they need to i think and i've thought for a while they need to fix that system um a it's just i feel like there's ways to better calculate arbitration and have a factual basis for how you do that than rather having three arbitrators and b it the thoughts on why players get paid what they paid are still like as almost as arbitrary as the hall of fame voting yeah, it would make so much sense. So much sense. Okay, so the idea that there has to be a winner and a loser, that's either figure A or figure B, that's dumb. Uh, it would make so much sense that you don't even need to get in a room that you one side files what they want to make, the other side files what they want to make, they put down their arguments on paper, they submit those arguments to a, whether it's an arbitration panel or a single arbitration, whatever, 
and then those they, they look at it, they look at the evidence on one side, they look at the evidence on the other side that's on paper, and they make the decision on how much this person is going to get paid, and it can range anywhere from the value that the team set to the value that the player set. There's your system. It works right there. Done. Right, and baseball has scientific formulas to evaluate that. Yeah. It's one of the few sports that actually has good scientific measurements, but for some reason they much rather just go and, and play courtroom and law and order baseball to figure out what someone's value is. I like that, law and order baseball. Do we get the dun-dun? Yeah, uh, just work it in post. It'll be great, and everyone will get a good laugh. I may do that. We'll see. I'm picking up my wife at the airport tonight, so we'll see how much time I have. But if I can work in the SVU dun-dun, I will do that. Do you watch SVU? I, Are you a fan of Law & Order Special Victims uh, Unit? I have almost never watched a single Law & Order. So I'm not I, – and it's I have no opinion on it. That's how little I've seen. I don't know if I like it or if I dislike it. It's one of my favorite shows. I, they – they went. They left. Uh, they had like a fall finale, but the fall finale was way earlier than all the other TV shows. Fall finales. It was like six weeks ago, maybe two months ago. It seems like it's been forever. And they finally came back this past week, and it made me happy. I feel like cable gets away with like two month hiatus much more than broadcast TV. Yeah, but they're on NBC. They're the real. They're thing. on NBC for some reason. I thought they were a USA show. That's because they replay the show on USA. Oh. The new episodes are on NBC. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I think we need to end this uh, conversation if we've gotten to a point. The, what's your show? Okay, let's let's get to know Brad a little bit. What what's the one show you have to watch on an every week basis when it isn't on? <sighs> um, I don't think I have a live show right now. It's been The Mandalorian. Um, okay, a little Disney Plus action. Yeah, uh, but lately the thing that my wife and I are watching that is brand new. Uh, to us and actually has new episodes out has been uh, Live PD. Oh, yeah, I, I watch that occasion. That's It's very compelling. Like, you get sucked in by it. Yeah, I just, like, for some reason stayed up late one night watching a bunch of, like, little one-minute clips on Facebook, and now here I am, and I'm we're going back and we're watching all these episodes. Um, it's, I don't know, it's just cops, but it, uh, I feel like because you're following around the same... Uh, little departments over and over again you get more of a connection to some of the officers you're following which makes it a little bit more enjoyable and also you get to see some of the like stupid petty stuff that doesn't matter right like you know a a stop where it's just like hey your plate says it's stolen and he's like oh no you got to put a b behind it because that's how illinois does things and they're like oh we did it everything's fine go ahead that everything's fine um, it's, I don't know. There's, you see like a bunch of the nuances of, and stupid things that happen that, uh, you don't, didn't really see in the nineties, uh, cop shows, but then it still has its action and drama. And I don't know. I don't get why it doesn't really seem like based on my personality, something that I would think I would get into, but man, I've been really into it. All right. That's fair. My wife got a new iPhone. So we got the Apple TV plus for free for a year. Oh, uh, there's a show, so uh, the morning show. It's got Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, and Steve Carell. It's really I good. Even, I haven't even heard of that. It is, in, uh, and so I'm a fan of all three of those actors. Like I think they're all fantastic. Uh, there's right. a guy in it. His name is uh, Billy 
crude up, crud up. I don't really know how to say his last name. C R U D U P. He plays a character. He steals the flipping show. Like he outshines and Aniston and Witherspoon and Carell are all fantastic in it. This is not me denigrating their work. They did a really good job. But the job that this guy does and the character he plays is so good, it just outshines everything. Ah, I knew I recognized the name. He uh, was Dr. Manhattan in the Watchmen movie. Okay. Yeah, I remember that movie a long time ago. Yeah, the blue guy. Yeah. For everyone else who doesn't, <laughs> uh, maybe uh, follow along with it. Yeah, so for anybody who gets a new iPhone and gets the Apple TV Plus, or buy Apple TV Plus if that's something you want to do, but if you get an iPhone you get it for free for a year, uh, watch the morning show. It is incredible. I am trying to stop this GD craze of everyone starting their own streaming channel by just like, nope, I'm, I'm not committing to any more. No NBC. Like, yes, I love The Office, but I'm just going to buy the damn DVD. Like, I don't care. No, you cannot make me buy another $15 a month streaming service. Like, it has to stop somewhere. I'm just going to have to go back to cable at some point and DVR everything. Because otherwise, I'm going to be paying $200 to have all the streaming services of everything I want to watch. Yeah, like I appreciate your discipline. So because Friends is going to be on the HBO Max, the Pauly family has to get that. My wife falls asleep to Friends, and I know you can say just watch the DVDs. That's not going to happen. Um, and and so, for some reason, so much more difficult now. Yeah. My wife was watching an old show that we have every episode of. Um, and it was taken off streaming, and she was complaining so much that oh. like she can't just stream it. <laughs> Every two and a half hours, you have to stand up and remove a disc and put another disc in. It's just too much work. Uh, why are, I mean, it's 2020. Uh, why are entire shows not on a singular DVD? That's true. I mean, I get it. You have no reason to continue working on DVD technology because you created something much better. But for those of us who only have the DVD, damn it. We are going to get the, the Peacock Network because of off The Office. And right now in the Pauly household, I mentioned the Apple TV Plus, but we're not paying for that. We're paying right. for Netflix. We're paying for Hulu. We're paying for CBS All Access. We're paying for Amazon Prime. And we're not cord cutters. We have real cable. Oh, Pauly. <laughs> you you got to cut, man. That's why I work 9 million jobs, Brad. <laughs> you got to cut. <laughs> Uh, you got a you got like, a basketball team. I'll broadcast for you. Send me a few bucks, and then you'll take care of my. Uh, oh, and we have Disney Plus. I didn't mention that we have Disney Plus. Well, Disney Plus and Hulu combined are just—it's so cheap. It doesn't make sense not to do it. Okay, so uh, here's—I'm gonna tell you how. There's this like Disney fan club. I don't know how we got here. People are listening to this right now on 540 ESPN because this is not just a podcast; it's a radio show now, and uh, they're going, "What am I listening to?" Sorry. Um, <laughs> There's this, there was like, the, there's this Disney fan club, and they, it's like D23. We weren't in it, but a month before Disney Plus happened, I read something where you could buy three years of Disney Plus at like thirty percent of what it would cost to do it on a month by month. So I forget what the exact value was, but before Disney Plus even existed, I put down a one-time payment and got three years of Disney Plus at a really good rate. Huh. Yeah. That's all. See, with with Hulu and Disney Plus, it only cost me two more dollars a month. Right. Well, they and so. uh, the ESPN Plus is in. They 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 bundle all three: the ESPN Plus, the Disney yeah, Plus, and the Hulu. I don't use ESPN Plus, so I never mention it because ESPN has nothing of value anymore. 
You can watch a lot of Horizon League basketball, Brad. Um, and it's just everything. Like I, I love ESPN in a way, as we are streamed on ESPN Radio. <laughs> Uh, but it's just everything's on. Uh, I can get all the clips on the Twitter. Okay, that's fair. Uh, I like they've they've got the uh, the Peyton Manning show. They've got the thirty for thirty library on ESPN Plus. They have well the I, thirty for thirties. Yes, yeah, that is that is something that no one else is even touching in terms of sport sports documentaries. Uh, HBO does when they do them, but they don't do them often enough. Right, it's just the regularity of which the thirty for thirties are put out. Right, so. Uh, do we need to talk any more Brewers? Like, should we need to book in this with something Brewers related? Is there anything else? Um, uh, Logan Morrison was signed to a minor league deal. You know what? That I, I think he is going to play in the big leagues at some point this year for the Brewers. Yeah, probably. They always have a bad bench player at some point. Why not? Wow. <laughs> I, I just got to be blunt. Logan Morrison was a good player. He is no longer a good player. Uh, oh, a good player. Oh, 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 oh. Craig Council signed a three-year contract extension. Oh, Craig Council signed a three-year contract. If I were the Brewers, I would have committed a little bit longer because I think it's going to have to take the entire damn thing burning down. Uh, I keep saying the D word, and we're on the radio. Man. It's okay. Um, the D word's allowed by the FCC, right? I don't yes. remember Carlin saying that one. No. Uh, so... I, they, I I should have been like five years because so much would have to go wrong, don't you think, for counsel to get fired? Yeah. Like so much would have to get wrong. And even if they were losing, I feel like they'd be losing on purpose to the point where no one in the organization is going to blame counsel. Right. I just it, – it makes too – yeah. Uh, the only so, thing would be is if he ever got burnt out. That would be the thing. But that would be on him. That wouldn't be on the organization. And I don't right. see and him getting burnt out. he would just leave his contract and the organization wouldn't have to pay it. Yeah. Uh, no, I... So that it wasn't like a five-year deal is surprising to me. I mean, I, th- go three-year by three-year does no harm. I, I was just surprised that it wasn't a little bit more of a commitment because with of how lauded of a coach he is, how cooperative he is with the front office in terms of working with them, um, and how much the ownership is behind him, it shocks me that they didn't make a little bit more of a commitment to him um, in terms of tenure. I've been on record. I think he's a fantastic manager. I think he's the right guy for the right job. And, yeah, I mean, they can keep giving him more extensions and more money, and I think he's earned all of it. Look at all the uh, teams trying to recreate it. I mean, that's you think David Ross isn't trying to rip off the Craig Council project? Which is interesting because Council actually mentioned when he started managing how he looked to Joe Madden as somebody that he you know kind of watched to see how he managed. So it's all kind of there, there's a cyclical aspect to it. Yeah, um, that hopefully he didn't when he got to Chicago because the brains kind of went out towards the end. <laughs> um, so hopefully he just is like, no, I'm good enough. I don't need Joe anymore. It seems to be more their organization just structures things in a way to make coaches successful. Weird. Um, and the Brewers, actually, with the platooning that they have going on, are kind of ripping off what uh, made Tampa Bay successful last yeah, year. Yeah, everybody's looking at everybody and just trying yeah. to, to put their own spin on it. It's just who can do the best and who can be somewhat original. Um, but, yeah, now everyone's signing recently retired play- And recently retired players being signed isn't that new. 
but it's now like signing that recently retired player who's a good clubhouse presence who is like a bang up guy people look up to and maybe played with some of the players but gets along with all of them and i feel like david ross was like we're gonna sign our own craig council darn it and i i don't know i like david ross he's fine i realize as a brewer fan i'm supposed to hate all cubs fans but what has david ross ever done wrong um he seems friendly he seems nice he seems to have a good family life all things i respect um yeah there's some cubs players who like i like ben zobrist i like anthony rizzo like just because you don't like the team doesn't mean that everybody associated with the team is a horrible person right yeah i mean addison russell but he's gone now right you mentioned carlin's seven dirty words you want me to finish this uh conversation off with um with a story that has nothing to do with baseball sure all right, so for people who don't know, George Carlin, the comic, great comedian, had a routine, talking about seven dirty words, and then the FCC actually picked that up, and they became the words that you were not supposed to say on the radio. Um, when I was in college, I was the program director of my student radio station, so we always had to go through the Carlin seven dirty words that you can't say on the radio. And I don't have the cleanest mouth in the world, uh, but I re- my, my mouth was much cleaner then than it is now. Not that I'm a cussing all the time but a, a word pops out every once in a while that maybe i wouldn't that i definitely wouldn't say on this podcast but especially then uh i really like words never came out of my mouth and everybody with the radio station loved the carlin seven dirty words meetings because it meant i was going to say those words in front of everybody <laughs> there you go um I always like making people who don't swear swear. There's, I don't know why there's so much joy in it. Yeah, and I look, I do sometimes. I'm not. You've heard me do it in our uh, when we talked yeah. for a little bit prior to uh, these podcasts. It's not like I've no, got I, the cleanest mouth in the world. But I had a yeah. friend from when I skydived who, like, she said, like, instead of the S word, she'd be like, "Oh, sheepers," instead of jeepers, and I'd be like, "Just swear. Just what the harm does it do? Just swear." <laughs> well, with a nine-month-old kid now, uh, both uh, really, I'm I'm trying to limit my those words coming out of my mouth. I need to hang out with your kid more so I can make sure she's cool. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I almost got you out of here before the big plug. Um, and, look, I, I, I love all the Brewers podcast out there. I don't feel like I'm competing against other podcasts. It's not like the radio world where we're kind of competing against other radio stations. I think from a podcast standpoint, we're kind of all on this thing together, and Brewers fans can listen to all of them and hear different viewpoints and everything, which is a whole lot of fun. Uh, you're going to be uh, part of uh, the Milwaukee Tailgate podcast, which uh, – historically with the uh with the group that's been there and some uh there's a little bit of a holdover and some new folks coming in as well including yourself uh you're gonna be more of a part of that podcast now and that's uh that's a really cool thing yeah i was really excited when ryan uh invited me to be part of that team so it's a nice little little conglomerate of people some really smart baseball minds and we just get together we talk baseball like this I'm going to be more of a part-time basis, uh, filling in when they need the third person. But really, uh, they have a monthly minor league podcast that I'll be uh, one of the main people for in terms of taking care of that. So we're going to try to get some minor league guests on there, uh, similar to what Polly does. Uh, get some of the industry leaders in terms of minor league observations. Try to get some of the local commentary guys. Um, and then maybe even some players on there to talk a little bit about uh, their development and their successes and what they're working on going forward. So I'm really looking forward to the outlet. It's always nice to have a new space uh, to kind of get out there. Uh, po- podcasting was how I got started in the little brewer sphere. I was always a brewer's fan, but it's the thing that 
got me involved on Twitter, got me involved in being interested in the miners. Um, so it's nice to continue doing that. But in the meantime, I'll still be Matt's part-time guest here. <laughs> Seems like you're you're coming on more often, uh, and look, and you're a big part of Brew Crew Ball. And uh, Kyle tweeted out about a week ago uh, all all the numbers and everything. I mean the 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 readership at uh, at Brew Crew Ball is inc- incredible. Um, over 10 million page views in 2019. That's I don't know where other uh, SB Nation what sites are, but I mean, just considering, you know, we, we always talk about market size that Im- that impacts all aspects of it, and, and that's a lot of page views. So you guys are, are just continuing to kill it at Brew Group Ball. Yeah, I mean, we have such a smart group. Uh, Kyle is one of the best analytical baseball minds. I know some people out there will give him flack for his love of Junior Guerra, but in terms of how he can really translate the numbers into what actually a player is producing. He's just so phenomenal and intelligent when it comes to baseball analysts. And then we have uh, a different JP than the one that was on Milwaukee tailgate and uh, James L and uh, the Dr. David Gibson. They're all so, so good writers um, and analysts. And when it comes to looking at baseball perspectives, uh, seeing things as not only an analyst, but a fan, it's a very smart group. And I'm it sounds like I'm being corny and like doing that thing where I. It's like, oh, I'm honored to be part of this group, but really like these are some of the most intelligent people I've had the pleasure of working with on both sides of it. And it's phenomenal to me to like look around and be like, oh, I went from a guy who was on Twitter who had a few good brewer takes and started covering the minor leagues. And now I'm surrounded by these people who are so much smarter than me um, and so intelligent about the game of baseball. It really is just mind blowing the the way they understand the game, the way they can translate what's happening in the game onto uh, or into the written word and make it enjoyable for fans. We're, we just have an awesome team all around at Brew Crew Ball. And then, of course, the guys I'm working with. Uh, James is one of the guys who's also at Brew Crew Ball who will now be on Milwaukee Tailgate with me. There's Paul Noonan and Ryan Top, All phenomenal. They're just really good guys, too. So uh, go out, check it out. If not for me, for them. Um, and, but, you know, this will always be my podcast home. Oh, there you go. I like that. Thank you. Well, you will always have a home here at Brewers X Journeys, the podcast. Oh, good, because I need a couch tonight, and please help. <laughs> All right, Brad, thank you. This was fun. We'll do it again uh, very, very soon. Thank you. I can't wait. Brad Ford joining us here on Brewers X Journeys, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. I'm pretty sure that that conversation is as far off track from baseball as we have ever gotten on this podcast. I'm trying to see how many of these things have we done. We've done we've done a fair amount. I'm trying to get the exact number before I uh, before I go any further and real time talking as I figure uh, that out. This is episode number 149. Hey, next week's going to be episode uh, 150. 149th episode and that might be as far off track of Brewers baseball and baseball overall. Uh, as we have ever got it. But that's okay. That was fun. And we got into uh, all the important stuff as well. And we just went a little bit longer as we talked about uh, some fun stuff. So there you go. Uh, Thanks so much for being tuned in. We'll talk to you again next week 
with another edition of Brewers Extra Innings Podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.